Welcome to the Social World Podcast. My name is David Niven. I trained as a social worker and have been a former chair of the British Association of Social Workers. Now, I currently run my own company, training people in the social care world. This podcast is going to be weekly and it will have comment and stories from the social world. Whatever's current, whatever's relevant, it'll have interviews with stimulating guests. Now, your comments are going to be very welcome. The website is www.dnivenassociates.co.uk and the Twitter address is at Dave Niven. So thanks for listening. Now, if you're a regular listener, welcome back. And if you're new to this, thanks for listening. So this week I thought I'd pick up some news stories, perhaps not the front pages or those that are trending on social media, but just things of interest. By the way, thanks for the messages from last week. Please keep them coming. And thanks for all the help in getting this off the ground to Kevin at Passing Places podcast. Now, if you want a holiday in Scotland with a personal take on people and places, you just check out that podcast, Passing Places. I'd recommend it to help you relax and enjoy a beautiful country. Anyway, first off this week. Prompted by the publication of a book by David Eberhard, a Swedish psychiatrist. Uh, The book's called How Children Took Power. And it looks at uh, parental disciplining of children, or the lack of it in Sweden, as he says. Now, in 1979... Sweden became the first nation to ban smacking. Now, it's interesting that Eberhard equates this with the loss of authority, leading to all sorts of liberal behaviours within families. Now, I read a bit in the Daily Telegraph here about this, where he's quoted as saying that we live in a culture where so-called experts say that children are competent, And the conclusion is that children should decide what to eat, what to to wear, when to go to bed. And he also says, if you have a dinner party, they never sit quietly. They interrupt. They're always in the centre. And the problem is that when they become young adults, they take with them the expectation that everything is centred around them. Well... And young people in Sweden, they say, just effectively don't say thank you, don't open doors. If you see them on the subway, they don't stand up for elderly people or pregnant women. Now, this, he finds, makes children and young people very disappointed. And that Children would even control their family's decisions about where to go or to go on holiday. Well, I mean, what's new? Goodness sake, everybody in families have put their money's worth in. However, he points to Sweden's growing truancy, a rise in anxiety disorders, and the country's declining performance in international educational league tables as the result of liberal parenting. Well... My own views from 30 years plus in child protection 
We've redefined child abuse over the years, but one original label when I was starting out was called over-chastisement. Now, when I'm leading a child protection training course, I always ask questions about people's own values. You know, what is acceptable or what is unacceptable to you? And one of the things I ask about is, is it acceptable to chastise a child by a smack on the back of the hand? Start small. Now, frequently, whatever the background of those in the audience, and more often than not, they're professionals from social work, health, education, the law, law enforcement, whatever, at least half frequently respond yes. And they justify it, more often than not, by talking about, um, oh, he was reaching for the cooker, or he was reaching to pull something off the cooker, or they were reaching into the fire and I, I, I couldn't bear the thought of them burning themselves, so I had to stop them. Or they were about to run out into the road between two parked cars without even looking where they were going. And they just had to be disciplined. Or maybe they were uh, hitting a sibling. And I say, well, fine. But what do you do the second time? And the third time? And the fourth time? Do you escalate the actual level of hitting? Do you just keep going until they become immune to the idea of, of this kind of chastisement? Do you mix it up and actually then probably confuse the child as to what the actual levels of seriousness are within your chastisement league table, if you like? It's very confusing. Now, we've all been in supermarkets and we've all probably seen something like this or something very similar. I've seen it myself. And it's classic and brings up all the issues, to my mind, that are to do with smacking and wrong with smacking. A parent, more often than not a mother, with the two young children, let's say one's four and one's two, and the four-year-old's running riot and has just pushed the two-year-old into a display of something in the supermarket and caused a bit of chaos. The two-year-old's screaming. And the mother, grabbing a hold of the four-year-old, smacks the child regularly on the legs or on the bottom or whatever, at the same time as kind of chanting a mantra, you will not hit your little brother. Now, what better example of what adults do and what children learn and how to model effective kind of chastisement that they'll take further on into life and learn that violence effectively is the way that adults deal with certain situations and therefore that must be right. And thirdly, I think we've got to be very careful here. You know, we're not going over the top, but why should it be legal to do something to a child that effectively is a criminal offence if you did it to an adult? Now, in Britain, we've got a situation here 
where smacking is permitted, a mild smacking they call it, under reasonable chastisement defence. The 2004 Children Act clarified it by said that any hitting that causes bruising, swelling, cuts, grazes or scratches were punishable but up to five years in jail. But if you don't leave a mark, you're okay. Changes were attempted to this led to this uh, law in 2008, but uh, the government faced a backbench rebellion over it. And uh, after about 100 Labour MPs demanded a free vote on the matter, but the whole thing collapsed due to procedural, uh, procedural constraints. Now, we've not allowed corporal punishment in schools since 1986. And... Uh, in state schools, that is, but I mean independent schools weren't banned from this until 1998. But, I mean, that is, to my mind, that's music to my ears because I remember my childhood, my my days at school, more often than not the days that I would come home from school with uh, welts up my arm from receiving six of the best, as they called it. And in my day in Scotland and Glasgow, it was the... Um, the belt was about a oh, two centimeters, two and a half centimeter thick leather strap or toes, as they called it, with a forked end like a snake tongue, and the welts went past your hand right up your arm, and stayed there for days. The irony was, at the time, they weren't allowed to give you more than six at a time, so your name got put in a little book. And the next day you went back for more if your offence had been particularly heinous. Now, actually, Britain's only one of five EU countries that haven't introduced a ban on smacking. And in 2008, the UN criticised Britain over the issue. And it's about time that we uh, turned away from this kind of chastisement, we were told. But essentially, surveys are suggesting that the majority of parents still oppose a ban. Now, I don't know about this, I don't know how you all feel about this, but I think researchers have found that smacking children instead of using non-physical punishments reduces their emotional intelligence, reduces the way that they, the, the sharpness of their functioning and the executive functioning, they call it, which allows us to think on the spot and modify our behaviour when needed. Now, I mean, lowering that ability by continued corporal punishment can in itself lead to poorer discipline. And various authors that have studied this in the North American sort of continent, America, Canada, etc., they warn that this could lead to lower levels of self-control and poorer behaviour in the long term. So, as far as I'm concerned, the, the actual resultant impact on children is only short-term satisfaction for adults. There's very little long-term learning and very little um, impact on the actual behavioural of children. Now, back to this guy Eberhard in Sweden. He advocates to cure this problem, he says, 
in Sweden about the um, ill-discipline within the young, he advocates a return to an authoritarian approach. He said there's no scientific evidence whatsoever that an authoritarian upbringing is harmful to kids. You've got to take command in the family, he says. The family is not a democracy. Quote, the family is not a democracy. And he criticised, uh, uh, in this article in the Telegraph, it's quoted that he criticised the influential Danish child psychologist Jesper Juhl, uh, whose book, Your, Your Competent Child, called for the overthrow of the traditional hierarchical family with its quote, destructive values of obedience and conformity. It's very difficult to contradict, says Everard. If you think I'm putting forward a stricter way, then people think you're an idiot. Well, blimey, the debate, the debate goes on. And uh, I'd be very, very interested in actually hearing your views on this. Uh, so give me some feedback. Thank you. I've just done an interview with the BBC with regards to whether or not um, it should be mandatory reporting for people that are aware of children being abused. The previous Director of Public Prosecutions thinks that there should be mandatory reporting and there's going to be a television programme that the BBC have done showing how schools and hospitals... And I also believe the church have repeatedly failed to protect children from sex offenders. There's apparently, and this is something I'm not aware of, the statistics, there's apparently evidence that shows that other countries that have in, uh, introduced criminal measures for people that don't report child abuse actually has little or no impact on the actual um, awareness of, uh, of abuse within the community. However... There's apparently been some declassified government files found that shows over the last 60 years, senior civil servants were well aware that school authorities routinely had hid child abuse uh, cases and not brought them forward. And we know for a fact that the church itself, the Catholic Church particularly, um, has in effect covered up on occasions priests who've abused children and not brought their cases forward to the relevant authorities, tried to partly deal with it themselves by uh, sideways pushing these people, but effectively at the end of the day they haven't brought them to the attention of the authorities. Now, Keir Starmer, who's just stepped down as Director of Public Prosecutions, thinks that there should be a mandatory provision, and he thinks that certain categories of individuals should report if they've got reasonable causes to suspect us. I, I think he probably means schools, uh, people in uh, positions of authority in churches, social workers, the law, wherever. I mean, and, and at the end of the day, he thinks that there needs to be a criminal penalty. And his view is, and his words are, that that would focus people's minds. Now... He also then goes on to talk about the fact that there should possibly be immunity for individuals if they did report. In some cases, I can understand that. It's a bit like all of these kind of um, telephone help, telephone lines where you actually um, report 
um, things that are going on illegally, whether it's claiming benefits or whether it's whatever, tax avoidance. There's just too many examples of cases, he says, where there's been suspected abuse of children and nothing much has been done about it. And the perpetrator has either got away with it or he's been able to carry on the offending. I would be very interested to hear why the Department for Education's initial response was no way, there's no need for this. And the NSPCC, I believe, also have come out and said no way, there's no need for this. I mean, I totally agree there should be a much more comprehensive education program when it comes to um, the public, uh, uh, people making everybody as aware as possible of some of the signs and symptoms that they, going about their normal daily business in the community, might actually notice of children whose behaviour is markedly changed, whose, who, whose possi the possibility of abuse exists with them. I don't know. I mean, th there's a guy who's the, called the Bishop Paul Butler, head of safeguarding at the Church of England, and he says, we have to think of the child first, not ourselves not the institution, what's best for the child. And I'm, I'm fascinated to see that the church actually would go along with this. I'm quite encouraged in some ways. Whether it happens or not, I don't know. But the actual feeling and the actual uh, initiative behind it is quite reassuring. But Department for Education said, apparently, that mandatory reporting is not the answer. Professionals should refer immediately to social care when they're concerned. And this happens in thousands of cases up and down the country. Um, when professionals are aware of suspicions regarding the um, welfare of a child. So I don't know. I'd like to look into this bit about other countries. Uh, which other countries? Presumably they mean the Western industrialised nations. I mean, go back to Americas, the Australias, the Canadas and New Zealands and so forth. And I'd like to see the stats there. Because if in fact they've had this criminal... Um, penalty hanging over people they don't report and it's not really working it's not really improving the figures it's not really engaging the community or focusing their mind as uh, Keir Starmer thinks it would do then I'd like to know why because at the end of the day it's uh, the children that matter nobody else well here we are again at the beginning of November and people are beginning to think about Christmas. I mean, again, everybody's complaining far too early. Decorations are going up. Street lights are going up. I mean, and we've got weeks and weeks and weeks to go of a kind of a consumer fest. But underneath it all, some more shocking statistics are coming back to haunt us again. And there's a report today saying that more than 80,000 children in the United Kingdom are facing Christmas living in shocking conditions in temporary housing, according to the charity Shelter. Now, Shelter is a charity that I'm very proud to have actually worked for many years ago, but the principle is still the same. And sadly, their mission is still the same. Apparently, the number of families living in emergency accommodation in the United Kingdom is at a 10-year high. And although the government keeps saying, oh, we've put lots of money towards it, the fact of the matter is that children are still living in appalling conditions with their families. And we aren't doing enough to tackle this. Apparently, 
in March of this year, according to the um, government's own figures, 82,500 children were in temporary accommodation in March of this year. And, I mean, London specifically, there were 62,000 children living in temporary accommodation, and that's a, a rise over the year before that. Now, majority of families living in one room, according to the BBC News reports, while in over half of the cases that Shelter investigated, children were actually sharing beds with their parents or siblings. And this is, more, more specifically, Shelter spent time with 25 families just to get a sense of what their life was like. When you think of basics like proper meals, where they ate them, uh, if you think of things like the, the, the tiredness that creeps up on children when they're locked into situations like that, where they have to struggle to find places to do their homework, or even the question of play and the question of friends and letting children out when it's a strange neighbourhood and often a run-down neighbourhood with all the inherent dangers that parents can have imagined. But the shelter chief executive, Campbell Robb, actually quoted says, our shocking findings have, uncurried, have uncovered the shameful conditions that homeless children will be living in this Christmas. He says that no child should be homeless, and now we all agree with that, let alone 80,000. But of course, with the uh, austerity cuts and so many people losing work and so many people having to struggle and scrimp and save to find pennies to actually even put food on the table, it's highly... Um, it's not unusual that homelessness is on the rise and again they're bracing themselves for a further increase. Now, the housing minister apparently is quoted in the BBC's website as actually saying families should only be placed in bed and breakfast accommodation in an emergency and even then for no more than six weeks. The funding we've given and our change in the law to enable families to be placed in suitable, affordable, private rented homes means that there's no excuse for councils to breach this. Well, I'm not quite sure what world that person is living in. Six weeks and then you move into the private rented sector, where of course there's reasonable priced cheap rental available. Well, that's nonsense in many parts of this country. There just isn't the affordable housing available for the majority of population. And yet, even talking brownfield building, that's where the economy should be stimulated. On brownfield sites, affordable homes, and the actual cost-benefit of that to the, uh, to the state, if you like. In human terms, it would actually get families back into a civilised way of living. Secondly, it would actually take away some of the welfare burden of people claiming benefits and this £1 billion that the government says it's put towards it. But thirdly, it would also give people dignity and it would also give children an actual base, a proper home, somewhere that they could actually enjoy their Christmas like every child should be allowed to. I think it's just scandalous. Here's this decades on people still having the same problems, still having the same arguments, still suffering in the same way, and most of the population in this country not recognising 
the underbelly, if you like, and the fact that, yeah, here we are, one of the more powerful economies in the whole world, and yet we've got tens of thousands of our children not really getting an adequate childhood. It's not right. Well, thanks for listening this week. I hope you enjoyed the kind of quick selection of news items. It just shows you just how much there is going on out there and how much little time we have to absorb things sometimes. Anyway, thank you for listening. I look forward to putting a podcast together for you next week. Please keep your feedback coming. Please let me know what you think of things and I'll try and feature some of your comments. And as well as that, uh, look forward to some more guest interviews. So... Have a good week.